It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is one of my dearest friends, Wiley Mullins, founder and president of Uncle Wiley's Specialty Foods that produces healthy Southern classic seasonings and spices. A passion for Southern cooking and a starting base of his grandmother's recipes, combined with 10 years of marketing expertise in the packaged food industry, enabled Wiley to launch this venture back in 1992. His first goal was to introduce a healthy approach to preparing Southern cuisine, and he has now expanded his product line and distribution network so that today, Uncle Wiley's seasonings are sold in supermarkets across the USA. Wiley is a graduate of the University of Alabama and received a master's degree in business administration from Duke University prior to joining Procter & Gamble in marketing. Most recently, he's launched a new venture, Table Telling, a movement to bring American families collectively back to the dining table, sharing and passing on life lessons, discussing and exploring issues to avoid, familial history, nuances, and expressions that will empower and inspire younger generations. Wiley Mullins, welcome into the corner office. Welcome. It's good to be here. Ah, so good to hear your voice, my friend. And gosh, we've been friends for about just about twice and four times as long as any other CEO I've had on the show. So we go way back yeah. to 2013, I think, is about the time I first started coming to Connecticut and met up with you. And uh, it's just so wonderful to be able to have some moments and capture your story. And um, But talking about some time ago, we always like to start with the early years. I knew you grew up in Alabama and had a, a, a very, you know, uh, solid family upbringing. And I'd love to hear a little bit about it. Tell us about what mom and dad did, brothers and sisters, and what that early family life was like. Sure. Well, uh, I was uh, one of four, I was the youngest of four kids. Hmm. And um, my older brother, there was eight, nine years difference between us. Yeah. So when I was in grade school, he was he was graduating high school. On his way out. Off yeah. to college. Yeah. And uh, but it's so interesting because uh, he and I became the closest of the four mm. because, you know, in my family, the oldest kid sort of looked out for the youngest one. Right, right. And as we developed into men and lived, you know, our separate lives in different parts of the country, we used to talk, you know, maybe just about every night on the phone, oh, nice. which is really great. Um, my parents, my father was and mother both were very big on education. Um, 
really, uh, there was never a doubt that we wouldn't go to college. It was just, where would you go to college? Right, right. And uh, I always loved that because each of us went to totally different schools, and um, which was which was interesting. Well, I, I know you're a Crimson Tide, you know, grad. So where did where did your big brother go? My oldest brother went to uh, uh, school out in Michigan, uh, oh, okay. Wayne State University. Yeah. Uh, my uh, sister went to Alabama A and M, a historical black college in uh, in Huntsville, Alabama area, and my brother. Ozzy went to Auburn. Wow. All and, different schools. Yeah. yeah. All different schools. And yeah. uh, we had, you know, we had such a great experience. And um, my parents, as I look back now and, and as I listen to other people talk about their childhoods and their experiences and what they did as kids, you know, I really almost had, I almost came from Mayberry. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. For those listeners that don't know, Mayberry RFD was a famous uh, Andy Griffith show, right? And Ron yes. Howard. And uh, <laughs> I wasn't was, her friend. I wasn't Opie, but yeah. <laughs> that would have been hard to pull off. Hard but to pull uh, off. but it was that kind of community. Everybody, you know, trusted each other. Everybody knew each other's name. Kind of a small town, southern. Well, it was a town of ten thousand people. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you knew people. You right. you. You, you know, you would drive through the through the neighborhood and you blow the horn and wave at everybody and you knew everybody's name. Right. And it was that kind of place. Yeah. And, um, you know, the community was very much intact, uh, a community that had uh, a few wealthy people, um, solid middle class people, but it had some extremely poor people. Sure. But, and we all went to the same school, mm. uh, same grade school, same high schools growing up which is so rare today, everything in most communities is based on economics. You know? Right. Well, you, you did grow up in the segregated South, right? Or, or was your school integrated at the time that you were yeah, I went, in high school? I went to segregated schools, grades one through six. Yeah. And then when we went to seventh grade, which was junior high, that was a year that the whole state integrated. Right. So my wow. junior high and high school experience was totally integrated. You lived through that. Setting. Yeah. And, um, but what was really interesting about it was, um, the community, both the, um, both the African-American community and the white community, it was so similar and mm. we didn't have the issues that other communities had, uh, about integration across the country. Uh, we, we integrated extremely well. Mm. And, um, um, uh, from there, uh, you know, high school was a great experience. Uh, I had a great experience in high school um, and felt very strongly about um, really, you know, wanting to go to a good college, a good school. And mm-hmm. I was encouraged all along the way to do that. And and there was a family. There was a family business, and and I believe your sister had carried that on. But there was some expectations that you might. Is that right? Yeah, but that wasn't my thing, and I had no. <laughs> to do it. But um, uh, I just really felt very much like, um, you know, I had an opportunity to pursue my dreams. Right. And right. I never thought I would be necessarily a businessman, 
Uh, when I first went to college, I thought I would major in political science, minor in art, and at some point go on to law school. Hmm. But I got engaged in business uh, back in the 80s. You know, the degrees that were really popular were, of course, the business degrees and the engineering degrees. Right. And I took an e- economics class, Econ 101, and liked it. Loved it, yeah. I not loved it, liked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, were you were you a good student in secondary school? Did you I have was. the? Yeah, yeah I was yeah. a good student. Yeah. And then I went on to um, uh, look more at business courses and took a marketing class and absolutely fell in love with that. Mm. And of course, that became my major. And um, I, you know, I had I just had a real good experience in in, in college. Loved the University of Alabama. Um, back then, Bear Bryant was our right football coach. Right, right. and uh, that was legendary. Yeah, uh, to be there when he was there and to experience that whole scene uh, during football season was just something totally unimaginable. <laughs> Almost spiritual, I guess. Right? Yeah. Like were you that, yeah. were you were you involved in sports in in secondary and high school? Was that also no, part I of? I was not. I okay. was I was um, a good solid student. I yeah. was more involved in things like student government. Right. Right. And um, continued that in college. Um, felt very strongly about um, really wanting to do well in school, um, wanted to, I like the competition in college. I like right. a competitive person, yeah. not yeah. a viciously competitive person, but I like to be challenged and I like to challenge. Right. And um, that was, that was great. That was, that was good for me. So I majored in marketing and uh, there were business classes that I didn't particularly care for, but for the most part, I really did have a great experience then. Now, did you work through college and high school? Were there odd jobs that you did? Were you nope. expected to contribute? No, nope, I did not work at all during college. Yeah, My dad paid for it, and wow. his expectation was for me to do well with my grades. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I did. And a business degree... You know, at least back then for me, it was something I had to work at. I didn't have time to work. Right. I, I had to study. It wasn't hard, but it wasn't easy. Yeah. I had to really get into it. I did not party. I was not into that. Um, I remember Brent, when I first went to college, having grown up in a town where alcohol wasn't sold. When I f- went to school and my roommate and I walked to a store from campus from the dorm that, that one night early on, and there was this big um, display of Budweiser beer. And it scared me. Wow. You know, it, yeah. absolutely, it absolutely scared me. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I kept, I really kept going. Um, you know, I, I really was pretty much the same person I was that left home. I worked hard. I went to the library just about every day and studied. And, um, I came involved in my church there. Yeah. And um, now you you were brought up in the church, right? Of course, At home. In the church. Yeah. And I stayed with uh, I was a member of the Church of Christ. Right. Uh, and I stayed with that group. They had a, a, a wonderful campus ministry program there. Mm. And I got involved in that and to be with a couple of hundred kids in your church and 
you know, you have devotionals two nights a week and Sunday morning, Sunday night. It was great. You had a real community there. We had a great community. And they they had even built apartments for us to live in. Nice. We were were part of that Christian community. Yeah. Right next to the church building. So you really were with other kids that grew up very much like you. Yeah. And um, it was wonderful. And um, I... Um, I really just that that was just probably one of the best experiences of life, really, just really being with other people who like minded who had similarities, yeah, yeah. And upbringing and faith and um, and they were fun people. It was great. And, really supported each other, I'm sure. Huh? yeah, we did, but we also had um. Uh, uh, members of the church, adult members of the church who lived there um, started a program where they adopted a kid um, your first year there and you stayed with Mm. them as their adopted child for the four years in college. And this family that adopted me as a a student, uh, they would, you know, take you to uh, lunch once a month Mm, at church or do stuff. It was just such a wonderful experience. Anyway, long story short, fast forwarding 30 years later, I really became almost like their son. Yeah. I mean, right. after after college, they stayed in touch. They've been here. They they're both deceased now, but right. they came to Connecticut. Um, you know, he was a business owner and when he would have his uh, business meetings in different parts of the of the country and the world. Um, uh, he always invited me nice. uh, to be there. And that was just wonderful. Really poured into you. Yeah. Oh, nice yeah. to have those yeah. other adult mentors, huh? Was yeah. he about your, about your parents' age or a little younger, a little older? The same year that my parents were born, but yeah. just good people. Yeah. And yeah. he was, he was a very successful, uh, uh, very, very successful business guy who, um, was great, was very helpful to me. And, and thinking and thinking through things. Was and, he part of your mentoring as you got your business started? I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but was he part of, uh, you know, kind of the foundation on which you built your uh, successful business? Well, he was, but he was the kind of guy that mentoring wasn't about the business. Mentoring yeah. was about uh, developing you into the person. Relationships. That you yeah. were, yeah. That, well, the person that you were meant to be. Right, and right. He had a um, he had a theme that I will never forget, uh, and um, um, about reaching the summit. Mm. And his and and his symbol for that was the Matterhorn. Huh. And throughout his office buildings, paintings, and everything, he had the Matterhorn to encourage people. Sales meetings would be about. Reaching the summit. Reaching the peak. Reaching the huh. summit. Reaching the summit. I always yeah. go for the summit. And it's interesting. Um, he passed a few years ago, and his son called me up and said, hey, I know Dad would want you to have this. And it was a painting that hung over his desk of the matter. Oh, that's awesome. Which, which I which I have. And I'm, I'm often reminded just reaching the summit. He poured into me that way. Yeah. It wasn't about being a millionaire or about being – a, a, a business mogul. It right. was about really being the person that 
you were you you could develop into. And, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. So what was that first job you took out of college? And in, in, in tell us kind of the story behind that. Well, the first job was just a sales job. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a sales job. I worked for Thomas J. Lipton. Right. Lipton Tea Company. Right. And uh, headquartered over in Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey. Uh, but, you know, I started my career down in the southeast. And that was great. And uh, I was working in Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, New Orleans area. And um, it was just a very interesting thing. And um, I remember this one gentleman, I'll never forget him. Um, I won't use his name because people might, some people may have known him, but um, he was down in the the Louisiana area and uh, in a small town. And uh, I was told by my boss that I would have to go down on the second Sunday night of every month, spend the night in this town and be there at eight o'clock that next morning to see him. And I did. And, uh, he was such an interesting guy and, uh, totally different backgrounds, totally different, everything. He had some symbols that would have scared me if I had not had, but you know what? We developed a relationship where I started to really, uh, Enjoyed meeting him, and uh, I remember um, six months into our relationship, my boss called and told me that this gentleman was sick and he would be working from home, and he still wanted me to come there and visit him at his home. Mm. And and I went, and uh, we would sit on the back porch, have a glass of sweet tea and a pecan <clears throat> slice of pecan pie, mm. and just talk about things and. Mm. I was looking, I did that for a while, and then, you know, I um, I, um, I got a call one day from my boss and said he had passed, mm. and that his wife had requested that I um, be at the funeral. So I drove wow. down there for that, and again, this was uh, at a time when people didn't, Different groups didn't mix too well together. <laughs> right, right. And there I was, you know, there, and I'm looking at people with shotguns in their windows and their pickup trucks, and, <laughs> and here I am here in this place at the funeral, and it was fine. And shortly after that, you know, I, I left that position and went full-time to graduate school in the Carolinas. And um, it was... That first year in grad school, I used to, uh, this is before laptops and cell phones and all of this technology, I used to go to the uh, library at a Wednesday uh, afternoon after class to get uh, some of the Southern papers from mm. Sunday because they would have the football schedules and right. football uh, reports and everything. And one day I was sitting there in the library and I was looking at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution newspaper and the first cover story on the paper was about a young woman that had died mm. was killed, uh, from this little town that 
I used to go and visit yeah. my business yeah. friend. And then I realized after I glanced further that not only was it the little town, but it was his daughter oh. that had passed. And um, I was just stunned by it. And I would go to the library every day and just until the story no longer appeared in the paper to understand. And uh, a few years later, uh, I was working for Procter and Gamble and we were doing a trade show in New Orleans. And of course I had worked there and knew people there. And I went down a few days early to get the show set up and finished early and ended up going back out there to the same little town where this gentleman lived, just riding around, killing time, and stopped by the place of business, and they all knew me, and hmm. I was sorry to hear about what had happened. And uh, the receptionist said, I know, um, we just call her Bob, Mr. Bob's wife would love to see you. Hmm. And um, so and they called her, and she said, please have him come out, and went out as we sat on the porch having our sweet tea and our and our pecan pie. We talked about her, her deceased husband and how much, you know, I liked him. And she said to me, and I told her after a couple of hours, I said, you know, I'm so sorry to hear about your daughter too. And I don't think that murder was ever solved. But mm. she said to me, she says, I said, I, I, I must get back to New Orleans. And she said, well, I need to tell you something. She said, um, he was, my husband, in his 37, 38 years of having this business, never invited anybody to this house. You were the uh, only person uh, that he invited all the time. And she said, he loved you. Hmm. He looked forward to being with you. He looked forward to uh, talking to you. Uh, and he just enjoyed your presence. And I said, you know what? I loved him too. Mm. And what was so interesting was this man had a KKK belt buckle on that he wore on all of his pants. And (laughs) um, I don't want to get into, I don't want to get into that. That's not anything I know anything about, but it would have been a deterrent, I think for most people, but I had a job I had to do which evolved into a friendship and and we couldn't have been more different. Yeah. Uh, And so I learned some things from that experience. Was he a believer? I don't know. Yeah. Never talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. He probably was. Yeah. Um, uh, Yes. But, um, but you were showing love for each other and showing your Christianity through it. I love that. I was just showing, yeah. You know, we, we have a lot in common, I think that we talked about and because really Brent, what he, what we did was he could have told me his order or whatever over the phone. Right. Sure. But he looked forward to seeing me and I looked forward to seeing him. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that was amazing. A little one horse town in, in, uh, in Louisiana, but it was great. Love it. Love it. So you went on to grad school, you went to Duke. What was kind of the defining moment in, in kind of your, your pivot there? Did you figure you want to get out of sales? Did you decide you wanted to, you know, go become an entrepreneur? To tell us a little bit about that decision-making going back to grad school. Never thought about being an entrepreneur. 
Mm-hmm. Never thought about it at all. I selling a consumer pot packaged goods. I was intrigued by the whole marketing of it, and I went to school specifically to uh, secure a position in consumer packaged goods brand marketing, marketing brand management. Yeah. And I did, um, and had that brought me to the Northeast. Uh, in between my first year and second year of business school, I uh, worked for um, Richardson Vicks, which right. was acquired very shortly after my I started permanently uh, by Procter and Gamble. P and G, yeah, about eighty six, eighty seven. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. Um, you know, I had several job opportunities to have gone to some of the biggest packaged goods companies in the country. And yeah. I had such a great experience in Connecticut and I decided to come back and work for them and uh, had a great, great, great experience. And I worked on brands like NyQuil, uh, Vicks Cough Drops, uh, uh, Vapor Rub all of those types of brands that have been iconic brands, category leaders. And um, I really loved it. And uh, shortly I worked there for a number of years. And did you, is that where you first started managing people? Did you get leadership responsibilities there? Yeah. 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 And then I, uh, I went on to uh, work for another package goods company and then decided, you know what? I really want to, I really want to take a stab at this. Uh, so now, tell us about that. Now, was that again? Was there some mentoring going on with that? Did you kind of feel, gosh, I want to be in kind of control my own destiny? Was it? Was that. there? A, was there a purpose None around? None yeah. What I saw was an unmet need in the mm. marketplace, mm. and I decided that I was going to create a brand that could that could address that. And what was that need? What was that and, unmet need? You know, um, being from the South, we are not necessarily the healthiest of eaters. Right. There was an opportunity to, you know, create a brand, a product line that uh, provided the flavors that people, uh, Southerners, African-American, Midwesterners like. Right. But without the fat, calories, and cholesterol. Mm. And that was, that was becoming more and more popular in the 90s. You know, people were becoming more... Um, uh, conscious of of health and 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 living better, so that was wonderful, and um, I I pursued that, and um, that was that was great, and I and that I, was that was when Uncle Wiley's was born. Now you know we yeah. talked in the bio about your grandmother. So did she have some influence on that? Was there recipes that you? No. Uh, no, it wasn't <laughs> recipes. It was the flavor systems. Ah. I created, I created uh, flavor enhancers that uh, provided the traditional flavors and taste that people wanted. Mm. Yeah. And so um, that's that's how I got into this. And, you know, and uh, I had a great start. I, I had, you know, um, some fairly good um uh, companies over the years that I've worked with uh, that distribute my products in their stores, uh, Walmart being one. Right. It's been, it's been really a great relationship uh, for this. Now, it's been, what, 27, 28 years? How long have you been 
with Uncle Wiley's now? I've been doing this. It went, May of this next year would be thirty-one. Thirty-one years. That's yeah. great, and and pretty much success from the from the get-go. Well, I had to work at it, yeah. but it provided me an opportunity. I never set out to make all the money. I never set out to build a, a mega company. I just wanted to have a good life. And I still want that. I want a quiet, peaceful life. Which is that's your you that's your work. that's your Matterhorn. That's huh? it. I that's mean, your that's Matterhorn. It. And yeah. uh, and I've been able to uh, have secured that for this number of years. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about mentoring and you know where that's come in, and not just with the business. I mean, we talked about. You know, this this young man <laughs> who was a young man at the time, but that you grew up with uh, at uh, in Tuscaloosa. But, you know, who are some of the other folks that you both have either uh, been mentored by, but but also mentored over the years? Well, you know, I am not when people talk about mentoring, I, I look at mentoring so differently. Mm. I look at mentoring based on values People that have the values that I want to have in my life, yeah. honesty, respect, you know, those types of things, uh, faith. I don't look at it as somebody saying, oh, I'm going to help you build this company to blah, 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 blah. I really look for people who are just good, solid, decent people hmm. who live the way that I wanted to live. You know, and uh, I know that's different. It may not be what you were looking for, but, um, you know, I, I, I mentoring to me was, was, was really, you know, all about value-based versus anything. Yeah, yeah. Have there been others other than the that family you met uh, at yeah. uh, Crimson Tide? Yeah, I, I've had some, I've had a lot of people that have sort of poured into me and not poured into me from a standpoint of of, um, of intentionally trying to, but just the way they live mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and they're role happy. models and, mm. and they're happy. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I look. I live here in Connecticut. And I see a lot of people that everything is based on the balance sheet. Everything is based on, you know how large you are, you know, uh, et cetera. I haven't looked at it that way. I don't live yeah. that way. I don't. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate that I have managed to live a professional career uh, based on what I deem important versus maybe what the world might deem as important. Right. What about pouring into others? Do you reach out and, and, you know, kind of follow that same model uh, for the folks that you, you connected to and you admired that you pour into that, you know, are maybe struggling in their own way or, or looking for, you know, some guidance with regards to those values? Well, yeah, um, I, I've been on the board of the Boy Scouts um, for over 20, mm. 24 years. And, um, and you were a scout yourself? Growing up. Yes. And yeah. I, I've been on the board of the Boy Scouts for that long. And I, you know, I live in suburbia, but I really have been focused more on urban scouting. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, um, on my council, Boy Scout Council, I'm vice president of Scout Reach, 
which is a program that's aimed at bringing young men and now young women from the urban sector into scouting. Right. It's a totally different experience than maybe what the, the, the suburban kids experience, but we want them to have the same opportunity. We want them to go to sleepaway camp. We want mm. them to earn badges. We right. want them to grow and mature in scouting. And you really have to be intentional about that. Right. Right. Um, because so many of them um, come from backgrounds where scouting was not a part of their uh, heritage or their experience. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Great. Cool. Well, we uh, have been talking uh obviously about business and, and you're now at a point in your life where you're moving into a new kind of business slash hobby slash art direction. And, and I want to hear more about table telling. Uh, I've seen some of the artwork. This is just a fantastic direction. And I'm so excited to, you know, hear a little bit about the impetus behind that. So, so talk to us a little bit about table telling and, and what's going on with this new direction you're taking. Well, Table telling is, um, is, is going back and recapturing some things that I think our culture has lost. Mm. And that is this idea of families having a meal together, certainly if not daily, certainly regularly, you know, several times a week where everybody is sitting at the table and people are talking about what's going on in their worlds without you know, looking at cell phones and laptops and all this. I mean, you know, now you have, it's not, it's not very common for big sister to, you know, grab a burger with her friends and, yeah. and, and dad to pick up something on the way home and, and, and whatever. Uh, and I just decided that we really needed to create an atmosphere uh, at the dinner table again, at the, at the dinner table becomes the heartbeat of the home, like mm. it was at one time, where you know you knew what was going on. Like my older brother, uh, when he was a senior in high school, I remember him talking about the bonfire at the homecoming game. <laughs> I could, I, I, I could, I could only dream about what that would be like when I was there. Right. Uh, I remember when he went to college and. You know, he'd come home for Thanksgiving or Christmas, and it was a big deal. And I would have my future. Uh, that would be in my future, too. Right. You know, if I wanted it. And it's just those little things like that that um, we don't embrace anymore. Hmm. Uh, and and I want us to get back to that. And it's not about being wealthy. It's not about living in the biggest house. It's not about, you know, dad, you know, being an executive. It's just about us being family. Community. And, yeah. and family, yeah. um, one of the great things about living in a small town in the South, you had friends who were well off and you had friends who were poor. And you didn't look at them as any differently. They were just friends. Right. And now it seems like everybody is trying to find, you know, their group that they want, you know, that, 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 that represents them as opposed to just appreciating everybody. Right. Right. Yeah. So true. So you've, uh, found some artists, I think overseas in Colombia, if I'm not mistaken, you've got some artists from three different countries, three different countries. Yeah. And, uh, we created a line of dinnerware 
and this the the each piece of dinnerware has a different scene on it mm. and the scenes represent things um maybe from our culture uh i started out with table telling focusing on the african-american culture that's our intro but we're already working on the jewish the mm. Italian, and the irish cultures oh. um like it's interesting one of the paintings that's going to be on a piece of dinnerware from uh, the Jewish tradition is a Jewish wedding where uh, they take a glass and they crush it. Right. right. Uh, which yeah. is, is so interesting. Uh, one of the things from the Italian uh, heritage is um, uh, women crushing grapes with their feet and making wine mm. and telling, you know, those kind of things. From uh, the African-American, one of the, one of the plates that I really love a lot is um, going to the barbershop. So hmm. a guy with a cigar on his way to the barbershop to play checkers with his friend. <laughs> it's called social hour, social hour at the barbershop. Right. And right. that used to be the way it, the way it was. Right. And, yeah. uh, or news I, was shared and information was yeah, uh, and, know, obtained. And yeah. it was just, it was just, it was, it was more than community. It was life. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was just real life is live. It was fresh. And I wanted to get back to that, you know, right. get back to that. So where can our listeners go and find out more about table telling? Simple. Tabletelling.com. <laughs> that couldn't be easier. That couldn't yes, be sir. easier. And, and how many uh, different sets of dinnerware have been uh, released now? Well, we have the, the African American uh, uh, set of eight, and they're sold individually. And uh, you can buy one or all eight or as many as you like. Wow. And wow. Uh, it's also interesting. Um, we're completing um, another piece, another another set of eight that uh, also feature African Americans or, or black people, really, and. What it is, is um, we are doing uh, black characters from the Bible. Mm. A lot of people don't really think about black people being in the Bible, but um, it's pretty, some, some pretty significant people, uh, even in the lineage of Jesus, who were of color. Right. And um, we're just bringing that out. Tell yeah. the story. Fantastic. Great. Can't wait to go see the whole collection myself. Well, listen, Wiley, we're almost out of time, but we always ask our CEO guests, you know, what kind of career and life advice would they give to someone that maybe has their eyes on building a business or, or perhaps doing something, you know, impactful and meaningful in their lives moving forward? What, what, what advice would you give to someone, you know, that's maybe mid-career at the stage and thinking about their future and, you know, kind of needing some help with regards to deciding where they may want to go next? Well, couple of things. Uh, first thing is time goes by extremely fast. Mm. 20 years, 30 years will fly by before you know it, particularly if you're having a good time and you're, and you're doing something you really like. And, and I think it's pursuing your passion. Um, you know, you know, people will say, well, you know, I want to be a wealthy lawyer. I want to be a wealthy investment banker. That might be your passion. But what is it that you really like, you really care about? 
that's of interest to you. Mm. Uh, and it doesn't even have to be about financial, but what is it that really drives you? What is it that, you know, you feel like you were put on this earth to do? And I think everybody has that. Um, you know, there are three habits that, um, that Christ himself talked about us developing. And I think in Matthew 6, I think, and those habits were um, pray, you know, which means that when you pray, you got to give up your time. And, uh, you know, Brent, I heard that the average person only prays like not even two minutes on, mm. on a day. My gosh, we got so much more to talk to God about. <laughs> we do indeed. And, and so I, I really encourage people to pray. The second thing that Jesus himself talked about as a habit to develop was give, giving. Mm -hmm. And that's not only just writing a check and throwing it in the church basket, but it's giving your time, giving your advice, giving your energy to, to a lot of things. Good thoughts. Generous yeah. words, affirmations to others. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of ways to give. Yep. And then the final thing that Jesus talked about was fasting. Mm. And, you know, fasting is not something that we see much in our culture today. But in most of the big situations in the Bible, you know, Jesus fasted when he was uh, in the desert being tempted by the devil for 40 days. Moses fasted when he uh, went to uh, free the children of Israel from Egypt. Elijah fasted when he was caught in the cave for 40 days. Right. Those are big things. So making it real easy to remember it, this is the way I look at it. Fasting deals with your food. Giving deals with your money. And prayer deals with your time. Three things that most people really want to control. And I think... Those are the things that um, we really have to be intentional about making certain that we are not selfish in mm. the way we uh, look at things. Wise words, wise words. Well, Wiley Mullins, founder and president of Uncle Wiley Specialty Foods and just launching, you've heard it here first, <laughs> tabletelling.com. Everyone go take a look. Thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office. You're welcome. And Brent, it's good to have you as a friend. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.go4roi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.